You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any distance down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Chiefs' kingdom, welcome into the latest edition of the Arrowhead Pride Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Appreciate you listening, joining us on a Victory Tuesday, as Staggs would put it. He is with me today. I'm Ron Cup Jr., the lead analyst at the site. Staggs with me, Matt Stagner, uh, senior writer at the site. Staggs, Merry Christmas to you. It's, uh, it's a belated Christmas uh, wish, and uh, Happy New Year. What's going on with you? Yeah, same to you. Enjoyed it. It was a nice, uh, quiet holiday trying to hunker down and not freeze. Hopefully, it was good for everybody else out there. We appreciate you all being here with us. In the middle of your holiday break, we've got some, you know, this is really our last show of the calendar year, so we've got some New Year's resolutions for the team coming up later on. The good thing is the next game starts on New Year's Day, so these resolutions, they don't have to wait until next season. They can start right away doing some of these things that we're hoping that, uh, that they'll pay attention to. We also have some great questions from Twitter, as always, uh, so we'll get into those, but first, Maybe just a quick look back, like we always do, kind of get the, the reaction in from this game against Seattle. What did you think overall of the Chiefs' performance? Yeah, they won 24-10, right? They, they, they get the win on Christmas Eve. It, it, kind of, it does kind of feel weird. It was a day, you know, in the, you know, a day further in the past than it usually is at the time of recording. Um, and it's been kind of a long weekend since. Uh, but it was, it was, you know, it was one of those games – you know, my key takeaway from this game was was the defensive performance, obviously. Um, you know, I, I was kind of on this podcast last week and, and honestly for a few weeks. Right. I've been kind of you know questioning the defense and saying, man, we you know we really haven't seen that that full A to Z performance, you know, all four quarters. You know, we've seen it in the past from Steve Spagnuolo's units, you know, leading into the playoffs every year. You know, looking back 2021. The last three home games of the season, they held Denver and the Raiders to nine points each then the Steelers to ten. 2020, they held Atlanta and Denver in the last two home games to 14 and 16. And then actually in 2019, we were if, if we remember that stretch, it, it wasn't just at home. It was actually, you know, nine to the Raiders, 16 to the Patriots in New England, and then three to Denver and Chicago. You know, the, the, that A to Z performance, that really, you know, holding down an opposing offense and really showing, hey, you know, if we need to, you know, we, we can take over a game if we need to in the playoffs. Not saying they will necessarily, but just that they can. Um, it was good to see that because they've shown, they've shown it the past three years, past four years under Steve Spagnolo, And we really just needed it to be encouraging. You know, there's a lot of youth on this defense, a lot of new pieces on this defense. 
And, you know, these last couple games, that Denver game, uh, you know, obviously, and then, you know, the Houston game, not super encouraging in terms of how the defense, you know, I, I think the offense didn't help them. This game, the offense didn't help them either, and it didn't matter. The defense just suffocated the Seattle offense, held them to three points until late in the fourth quarter. So that was my main takeaway, Stags. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't an offensive juggernaut they were going against here in Seattle. Uh, no, they, but they, but I will just real quick. I will say Seattle's offense has been very good this year, very efficient, mm-hmm. one of the top five, six efficient offenses in the league. Geno Smith has been playing really well, so it's more than you know. It's it give him a little more credit than that. I would say that's fair. There, there is definitely a better offense than Denver or yes. <laughs> some of the oh, yeah. they've had recently. So, but uh, they were missing Tyler Lockett, which I think made a big difference. True, in their offense, yes. uh, but yeah, this this defense was was stifling. They did exactly what you would hope that they would do, shutting down uh, their opponent. Like you said, all game long, there was this one. Like a lot of games recently, have never been in, was never in question. There was never a point where I was worried that they were going to come back and win this game because every time they had an opportunity on offense, I, I really from the front uh, through the tackling through the coverage. I mean, I think they were just pretty solid all the way around and had enough pressure to make things uncomfortable enough that you didn't feel like their passing game was going to be able to do much on the day. And then, and that was the key other than tackling, you know, sure Kenneth Walker had over a hundred yards, um, but it, it was a quiet hundred yards. I thought it was nothing really that I felt was um, an issue. Yeah. And, and speaking of quiet production, I, I do think wide receiver DK Metcalf, you know, he, he, he ends up with about 80 something yards on seven catches, um, no touchdowns. And you look at that and you say, well, you know, he had a pretty decent game. You know, he, he got some chunk yardage. He had the 35 yard gain towards the end of the half, uh, the first half that kind of set them up to kick the, the their field goal. Um, obviously, the Chiefs had the goal line stand there, which was good. But, you know, it was really interesting that the Chiefs defense decided to use cornerback Legarius Sneed to shadow him they they i haven't really if you i don't recall steve spagnolo really doing that with his corners in the past but i like that i like the thought of it right because sneed and metcalf are both these 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 athletic really fast dudes for their position they're fast but also pretty physical obviously metcalf i don't think anyone you know there's no question he's a physical receiver but you know we know it in chief's kingdom that sneed's a physical corner but you know maybe not known nationally I think that's a that's a really good idea and and something that maybe is a an experiment to kind of work into the playoffs, right? Hey, you know, depending on the receiver matchup, maybe we do want to put Snead specifically on one matchup, um, you know, and kind of take him away. And again, Metcalf didn't have like he wasn't shut down, right? He had catches. He actually nearly scored a touchdown at the end of the half. Barely didn't get a foot in. Um, but just the fact that they were able to limit him and not make him take over the game, Snead definitely helped with that. And I thought that was a cool little wrinkle from Steve Spagnolo. And it's not the first time they've done it even this season. Sneed uh, spoke up and asked for that that responsibility. Uh, and, and I can't remember at this moment who who else it was that he went up against. But a couple of weeks back, the same story came out that Sneed asked for that responsibility to follow the number one guy. So it is a good development. It is something that we've been talking about with this secondary is that they've played a little bit vanilla a little bit straightforward because they've got a lot of rookies out there so they haven't really mixed things up too much when you throw interesting wrinkles like like that which may allow you to do some different things with some other players on the field um, from a coverage perspective it probably helps you now does that hurt in another way and, and pull Snead away from this opportunity where he's the blitzer he's the 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 robber right. role where he can create some turnovers and some chaos 
I think you can make that argument that you know maybe you'll you'll get you'll get more statistical production out of Snead if he's not tied up with the other team's best receiver, but the the gains in coverage might be worth it. Right. No, that's a good point because you know having him in the slot is where he can you know you know blitz from the edge and you know like you say play over the middle. You know Metcalf's a truly a perimeter receiver. He's not usually in the slot, so you're going to have have him on the outside. And that is one thing with Lockett not being in this game. You know, Snead does not do well against those those kind of slot receivers where they they you know they're quick and 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 kind of have that you know that that kind of separation ability at the top of their routes. Christian Kirk gave him a lot of fits earlier this season, kind of in that similar role. So it's it's honestly a you know if Tyler Lockett was playing, it'd be even you know it it might have been even more beneficial to to kind of have the Chiefs do the Snead on Metcalf role because it kind of hides Snead from that matchup too. So. It was it was definitely some some 3D chess right there, uh, Stags. But uh, you know, it, it was just an overall good defensive performance, and that's where you know I, I do want to get into Thomas Ramirez's question at T E R O three. Might be the Chiefs, the game the Chiefs needed. Two sides of the teams played good. Two sides of the ball, I think he meant played played well. Who was the player of the game for offense and for defense? And since we're sticking with defense, I'm gonna go ahead and give mine. Willie Gay Jr. It was really good to see uh, the linebackers play really well. I thought that was a huge part of this was the linebackers were flying around the ball. Bolton and Willie Gay both were, um, you know, total. They together they ended up with uh, what is that? Twenty six tackles together. Uh, Bolton getting seventeen of those. But I thought Willie's were very impactful. You know, he only played sixty percent of the snaps, but on nine tackles he, he was second on the team. He didn't miss a single tackle per PFF. He, had, he defended two passes. One was a batted down pass at the line. The other was actually, you know, uh, in space, you know, uh, you know, uh, batting away a pass uh, in a route. And then also had a tackle for loss. And, and, and a few of his nine tackles were, were stuffs, you know, run stuffs at the line of scrimmage. Overall, though, the linebackers played really well. I just thought, you know, we needed to see this playmaking game from Willie Gay. I thought he was a playmaker on, Sun, on Saturday. It was nice to see. But how did you feel about, uh, you know, your guy Bolton and, and the linebackers, uh, how they played Sunday Saturday? I mean, this, this is what you want to see from that group. Uh, really, the, the tackling was better this week, which is, uh, you know, it's not just those two guys that, that contributed to preseason or earlier in the season tackling woes, but seeing them uh, finish plays, wrap up, uh, you know, w- was good this week. And I think when if, if that's all they do, then they're contributing positively. Sure, you'd like to see them force turnover. Sure, you'd like to see them, you know, make big plays, but – uh, at least being sound there in the middle was a nice improvement. My play right. of the game. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say the middle of the field thing was a big thing these last few weeks, and and it was a lot tighter this game. You know, it was just good to see. You know, I, I think the safeties too were included in that, where you know there just wasn't as much space to work with uh, in the pass game over the middle of the field. It was good to see. Yeah, that is a positive. I, I also, as we get to my player of the game, I'm I'm going with Chris Jones. Uh, Last week he was sick, wasn't himself, didn't really record, you know, much of a uh, statistical performance at all, and and you could tell the pass rush was was a question mark. This week, the guy was unblockable once again. Yep. Um, four quarterback hits, uh, a very very impactful game uh, from Chris Jones. He got a sack, two tackles for loss, uh, really really. Uh, was unblockable, single double team, it didn't matter. And that just makes the entire front look that much better. So we'll talk about this one, and I think maybe there's a question about this farther down, but the front seven, the front four, 
this is as good as they've looked in a while. And a lot of that starts with just the fact that Chris Jones was dominant. And then you might also throw in maybe some evaluation about the, uh, the other two big guys uh, that were up this week uh, on the interior. Right. I know. It was good to see Danny Shelton. He actually dropped back in coverage on one of his snaps. So that was, uh, that was a awesome. frightening <laughs> a frightening look for opposing uh, receivers going over the middle. I don't think you want to run into that brick wall as you're running the slant. But, uh, no, it, it's good to shout out Chris Jones. Uh, PFF had him as a, at a season-high nine pressures. Uh, his previous high was seven. So, I mean, it was you know his most impactful game in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback. Um, so that was your defensive player of the game. Flip the offense, though. I, I, you know, it was kind of a weird offensive game. You kind of hinted at it at first. You know, there was a, a lot of stalled drives, a lot of drop passes from this uh, receiver unit. And, uh, you know, not even, you know, the greatest game from Mahomes either. Uh, you know, I do think the cold does, you know, do do something to uh, to the pass game. I think that's it's important to understand that the wind chill was, you know, below zero. But my offense player of the game was Travis Kelsey because in the the limited, you know, in a game where it didn't seem like he did much, he ends up with over 100 yards. He ends up leading the team in, in, in yardage. And he makes the, the two game-winning plays pretty much um, in the fourth quarter, up 17-3, to three, needing to kind of have that dagger touchdown. Two plays, 72 yards. And I highlighted on Twitter, but it was back-to-back plays, literally the exact same route Kelsey ran, and, bo- and both of them ended up being a big play. Um, that intermediate crosser getting between linebackers and then getting upfield once he catches it. The first one went for 20. The second one went for 52 yards that he ran inside the 10-yard line. So that's what made him player of the game. You know, when, when the team really needed a big play, he stepped up. You know, it, it's amazing. You know, he's still able to run away from guys. He's still able to, to kind of have the – because I could tell, you know, you could kind of tell the linebackers were maybe getting a little fatigued. And Kelsey didn't look fatigued at all, man. And that's what kind of made those two plays late in the game. So shout-out Travis Kelsey. Uh, you know, another impactful game, even if it just didn't feel like one of his, his bigger performances. Yeah, I mean, I, I think overall the offense was quiet. I mean, it wasn't really a, a spectacular offense performance. Like you said, maybe some of that was related to the weather. Um, so I'm going to go with a guy who, who did not put up big numbers, uh, who if you're just watching the box score, you're going to say, eh, uh, about his performance. But the return of Kadarius Toney, I think, made a big difference on Love this it. offense. And he had one catch for eight yards. It was a touchdown. Um, but – just seeing him in the action, seeing him part of that, uh, the goal line plays, the red zone efficiency was better. I, I think I saw an interesting set about red zone efficiency with and without Kadarius Tony, And so this came from, from Zach Eisen on Twitter. Since his return, they've scored a touchdown on five of six red zone um, possessions. They were two of three against Seattle, three of three. I'm sorry, three of three against Seattle, two of three against Houston. The prior three weeks, they were six of 13. So they went from 50%, basically, uh, or just under 50% in the red zone uh, to, to 66%. Uh, I'm sorry, my math is all off today, but five of six, whatever that, whatever that percentage is, right. uh, much, much better. Uh, and their, their red zone offense just needed that extra demo, that extra dimension, the sideline side to sideline speed. Right. Um, the way he wove through traffic for that touchdown, I, I think I don't know if it was you or somebody else that mentioned. There's not a lot of receivers on this team uh, that, that are going to make that play, and it, it's really him and Hardman. And you've got to have one of those guys on this on this offense uh, when they have both. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But um, just Kadarius Tony in, in small amounts making a difference. 
Right. No, I that's something I highlighted in, in my article this week, which actually they just posted. So if you're listening to this, you can go check it out on the site. I'm looking at the positive and negatives from the receivers. And yeah, one of my positives was the fact that Tony is back, how it impacts the red zone offense. You know, Hardman, five of his six touchdowns this year have come in the red zone. And it's because what they love to do is get him in situations where, you know, maybe there's a little misdirection. It just, you know, holds that linebacker, that, that, that force defender on the edge just for one second, give Hardman a step towards the edge. And, you know, it's just really hard to beat Hardman's speed uh, to the edge. And, and on the flip side, Tony has a little bit of that speed. He's not the same sort of, uh, you know, straight ahead speed, but man, his, his cuts and his vision is what makes, especially in the red zone, these jet sweep plays really work because you do have to read the blocks and it can be really hard. I mean, go watch the, actually in my Twitter clip, I, I paused it at a good moment to kind of show you Tony, his peripheral is an, is amazing. I mean, for him to see that, that Trey is coming and that he still has another block he can set up. Most guys would have just ran straight, probably had to barrel over the guy. He still maybe would have scored, but Tony's vision, he, he sees Trey coming and, and sees that he can just take one more step, let Trey just wash this guy out, blow him up. And then he's walking into the end zone. So that's where in the red zone specifically, you know, Hardman, I think is more of that big play guy. Maybe, you know, you know, when you're kind of further out from the end zone, you do a jet sweep, maybe he can take it to the distance. But in the red zone, I think Tony's vision as a ball carrier maybe even be more, uh, uh, you know, more successful or more effective than even Hardman can be in the red zone. And we we always we can't really go offensive player of the game without at least giving an honorable mention to Patrick Mahomes. Again, statistically, wasn't his best game, but he he was efficient. He did what he needed to do uh, to win this game. And that rushing touchdown of his, you know, we were we talk about the Canton highlight reel for him. There's there's going to be a lot on that film, uh, but that uh, the, the way that he balanced on the sideline and made that reach was a, a, a pretty spectacular play and one that will be should be remembered for a long time. So, uh, you know, MVP status maintained at least uh, for Mahomes uh, again this week. Yeah, I know. I, I, I didn't ever actually check the, the odds on, on my own, but I listened to the podcast this week. I heard someone mention that he's about minus 550. Uh, which is, you know, incredible, you know, incredibly low or bad odds, you know, if you're a better um, to win the MVP, which which tells you really that it, it's almost his award now to uh, to lose. He'd really have to slip up these last couple of weeks. And it's good. You know, honestly, I, I, I was I've, I'm surprised by myself. I, I find myself really wanting him to win it. I don't know why. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's not that big a deal. Uh, you know, it's the Super Bowl is obviously the more important thing, but Part of me really does want him to, to win this award. I think he deserves it. I think he's earned it. Um, you know, these last couple of years, I think he could have won it a couple of times. But, you know, I hope they give it to him this year, Stacks. I don't know. Do you really care about it? Because I find myself actually truly, you know, like pa- passionate about the fact that I want him to win the award, which is funny to me. Yeah, probably more this year than than in other years for some reason. I think it's been a couple of years. I think you, you know, you get tired of hearing these conversations about who the next guy is when Mahomes is still that guy. And right. I, I think this year with the loss of Tyreek Hill, you've just got such a strong case to say, look at what he's doing without one of the best receivers in football. I think it's one of those one of those years where there's going to be a nice narrative around it. Uh, and, you know, again, just that constant disrespect of like, all right, who's the next, who's the next big thing, you know, Two is the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. Uh, that was obviously disproven. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, Josh Allen. You've got Joe Burrow. You've got a lot of people who are, you know, 
people try to insert in that conversation, but uh, at the end of the day, he's the greatest player on earth and he, he should be recognized as such. Yeah. And in this game, again, pretty good example of just, you know, even when he's not having his greatest day, you know, even when the receivers aren't really helping him out, even when the offense kind of stalls, he can just make a crazy play, really put the game away, you know, in the fourth quarter when he needs to. I mean, that, that run really was incredible. You touched on it, but I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's an underrated play. You know, it's going to probably be, you know, way down on the list of his incredible plays in his career. And that's just Mahomes for you. So, but let's go back to the defense tags. Let's talk, let's talk back on the defensive line. You kind of hinted at, you know, some, some guys behind besides Chris Jones making some big plays. Black Elf 19 at Black Elf 6624 on Twitter. He asks, was the Seahawks game the best performance by the defensive front this season? It felt like Spags had to blitz less to generate pressure on the quarterback. Do you agree? What are you? What are your thoughts on on this initially? As he asks, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's their best. I mean, I think they're they've had better performances uh, uh, as far as you know sacks and, and things like that. This was a, a week where they got um, you know they got some pressure up front. They they only sacked uh, Geno Smith twice, uh, which isn't you know is isn't their best performance of the season. But you did see some things coming together. And again, I think Chris Jones being Chris Jones again made all the difference in the world. You got a really great game from George Karloftis up front. I thought, um, you know, Carlos Dunlop continues to be just active and, and, a, and a nice uh, a nice rotational piece there. And I think it, is, it was interesting to see uh, Brandon Williams and um, Danny Shelton up this week. Did you notice a lot of packages with both of them on the field uh, or any? Because it, it, there were really – they bring that dimension, that just unmovable, you know, force that that I think we hope to see out of whoever's lined up next to Chris Jones. And we talked about it in the last couple of weeks. I know I've written about it a few times recently. They really need more stout play out of that mm-hmm. other guy, whoever it is. And Colin Saunders being out this week, you know, we've talked about his limitations in the past. I think having Williams uh, uh, there and then Shelton up this week just brought a little something different uh, to the to the run game and, and maybe even a little bit on the pass rush where, where you've got the, that space eater uh, playing at a higher level than maybe Derek Nottie has this year. Right. No, I, you know, I didn't notice necessarily Shelton and Brandon Williams on the field together. I will say my in-depth film review was on the offensive side of the ball. I still have yet to look at the defense too in-depth. But what I did notice were snaps where Nottie and Brandon Williams were on the field together. And – those are two of the same type of player, the the one tech nose tech uh, nose tackle type of players, and that's what you actually saw a little bit of down the stretch in the 2019 season with Mike Pinnell. They actually went with Naughty and Mike Pinnell next to each other on some early downs to kind of help with that run defense. Right? If we all remember, the run defense was one of the biggest issues we all were worried about, and and then all of a sudden it kind of got fixed when Mike Pinnell came in and they started using a little more of those. Yeah, like even in nickel, you know, they have two linebackers on the field. It may be a passing set, you know, to help you know, the pass coverage, but they also have those two run stuff and D tackles in. And yes, you do sacrifice from pass rush in that sense, right? You know, if they do happen to drop back, you don't have that penetration from the inside and, and that can burn you depending on the team you're playing. And that's where you have to be careful with how you implement it. You want to make sure, you know, uh, you, you implement it at the right times and all that. But I do think, yeah, you're right. I think Spags is, is wanting to get those guys integrated, wanting to get those guys comfortable so they can play good snaps, legitimate snaps in the playoffs. Cause I really think they'll need, depending on the, the matchup, you know, if they see a, a heavy run team like the Baltimore Ravens, if they see, you know, one of these, you know, even a, a Bengals, they can run pretty well. 
they'll need guys that can be more stout. And so I'm glad they're getting Brandon Williams looks, you know, he's, he's been looking good, man. I'm, I'm glad they got him. I mean, that's, that's he's, he's had a little bit of juice in the pass rush too. It's really, it's really, right. odd yeah, see. that's like, true. That's not, that's not normally his game, but I, I've seen him out there chasing quarterbacks and it's, it's pretty fun to watch. Uh, uh, just a, a guy of his dimensions <laughs> doing that sort of thing. Right. No. And, and to get back to just the defensive line for this game though, the edge rushers, you know, I, I do think there was something too. The, the Seahawks do have two rookie offensive tackles, at, uh, you know, at their bookends and, and they are good players, right? Uh, Abraham Lucas, although he did leave the game with an injury in this game, uh, leaving way for a, another young player um, to, to take his place. But Charles Cross, the left tackle is a really good prospect. They've been good all year. But, you know, I think the four-man rush kind of benefited from that a little bit. George Karloftis got the best of the rookie on his sack. Um, but, you know, when you look at the numbers, Karloftis did only have two pressures. Frank Clark actually had no pressures, according to PFF. Uh, Carl- Carlos Dunlap had three. But it's always easy to overlook the, the batted pass. Karloftis did have his seventh batted down pass of the year, um, tied for the NFL lead once more, which, you know, hey, if, if you know, Back in April, we, we, we tell us that Karloftis is going to lead the league in batted passes. I mean, that's that's a pretty cool stat for a rookie and, and something that I think we all would have taken. And now he's got those stack, sack numbers with it, too, a little bit. It's kind of We have this conversation almost every week, Stacks, but he is kind of just exactly what we – almost nearly exactly what we said. Maybe a little more impactful maybe than, than we expected. But, I mean, when you look at what, he, what we wanted from this guy, pretty much been, you know, at this point, pretty much been what we kind of uh, expected, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I I had suggested that he was probably a four to six sack type player and, right. and not somebody that's going to be a double digits, you know, explosive pass rusher. And that was one of my objections to him early on as I wanted to see them try to exactly. find that explosive edge rusher, uh, which isn't really his game. But, you know, what, what does he have? On, uh, how many sacks does he have on the year right now? It's about four, I think, four and a half. Yeah, four, four and a half. Um, right. So he, he's certainly right in that range. I mean, he. He could he could have a couple more at the end of the year and prove me wrong, but I think you know yeah he's doing everything that you would want him to do. He's been solid and he's contributed you know some big plays at times. That batted pass on fourth down this week was a massive play in this game, and it's as good as a sack in that particular situation. So you know he's uh, he's certainly living up to probably the good version of what we thought he could be, uh, and you know. He's just you just have to be realistic about his expectations, but he's he's certainly meeting them right now. Right, exactly. I I just think the passes defended just really gives you the effort kind of thing that we all said. Okay, well we know he's going to give good effort. We know he's going to be a high motor guy. We know he's going to finish and that would be relentless. And that was something that we missed in the pass rush last year. So seeing that effort kind of translate to the statistics and being literally one of the most impactful players in the passing lane um, in the NFL is is just where you know he is it is kind of proving that he is you know it's it, the effort thing isn't just you know talk right it isn't just oh you know he's he's just uh you know it's just a way a way to say talk about a white guy sometimes you know right he's a he's a coach's coach's son you know high motor guy <laughs> no he it, it's Sneaky true athletic. that he actually yeah, his yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it, it's just true that he actually puts in you know it seems like superior effort in the pass lane and I don't know. Just look at the Chiefs' batted passes in 2020 or, or, you know, last year, 2021. I think besides Chris Jones, there was someone with two. And so Karloftis gets seven. I don't know. That's just a really, really cool sign. Good for the rookie. I just wanted to shout him out. Yeah, with Dunlop being right up there as well in, in, in batted passes. They're, uh, yeah. The defensive line yes. is, is getting their hands up and they're knocking passes down. And, and they've got the length to do it. And I think that's 
you know, that's going to pay off for him uh, down the stretch, and it, it already has so far. Uh, let's maybe jump ahead, jump ahead to Jake Wilson's question here. Um, Jake Wilson at Jake for now. Which roster transaction remains harder to grade, drafting Josh Kando or signing MVS? What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, Jake, with the thoughtful question, always like kind of these, these you know, you got to sit back and, and kind of rethink, you know, some of these, uh, you know, some of these decisions. But with this one, I, I get what he's getting at, right? You know, he's saying, hey, with Kando, you know, he's had injuries. He's not really seen the field. It's kind of hard to, you know, grade exactly, how, you know, who he is as a player. While at the same time, you know, with MVS's contract, you know, he's having a career year statistically. But, you know, at some points it does kind of feel weird, to, you know, is he, you know, is he living up to that deal, I guess. But I do think when it comes down to it, I, I think, you know, it, it's pretty easy to grade that MVS, the MVS deal at this point. You know, actually, I do think so. I think he is the role player that he's always been. And I think the Chiefs were kind of banking on him taking a further step and in developing into a legitimate, you know, starting outside receiver. And he just hasn't taken that step. And, and you know what? That's OK. You know, it really is. You know, the deal is, is, is something that they can get out of. It's flexible. Um, and so I do think they've already, I think that's conclusion has been made. I don't think, unless he just has a tear in the postseason, I don't think you're, you're going to see MVS be looked at as any more, um, you know, or, or, you know, as a starter receiver next year. And that's why I don't think he's going to be necessarily with the team next season. The Kando stuff, I, I do think availability, you know, your best ability is availability. And so that's where that's kind of easier to grade than maybe, you know, Jake's letting on too. I, you know, it's not been a good draft pick as simple as that Sags, What do you think? Did you just make a prediction that MVS was going to be gone for the 2023 season or after yes. the 2023? Interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he's – yeah, I, I don't think he'll be here in 2023. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I guess maybe I tend to to always err on the side of, uh, yeah, of that's players fair. sticking around. But I, I I do think they're getting what they should have expected to get from, from MVS, um, and they're probably going to think that, uh, you know, he brings some stability, some veteran stability to the position, which maybe is ironic given his uh, the high variance of his play. But uh, I'm not so sure that they – to me, maybe it depends on whether or not they can re-sign Juju Smith-Schuster. Because yeah. if, if he's gone, then I, I think it's more likely that MVS will stay because they're not going to want to have all rookies and second-year players basically um, at that position. If, he's, if Juju is back and – they feel okay about Sky Moore, which we haven't really seen him do much of anything yet this year. Then, then maybe they could move on from him. But I, I don't know that it's as cut and dry as, as how you predicted it. Uh, back to the question, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think MVS is what we should have expected, and and Kando is ha, has really shown and done nothing in the league so far. So if you if you would say which would I grade more harshly? Which one would I say is is has been a more of a failure? I think Kando's been more of a failure as a draft pick than MVS has been as a as a free oh, agent yeah. signing. Now it was a fourth round pick, and you know those are hit and miss anyway. But you know with the physical upside that he had coming in, he's for him really not even to see the field. You know at, at this point, before his rookie contract is is going to be up. Uh, you just can't see any contributions coming from him, so I don't, I don't, I don't think that was a good pick at this point. Uh, but MVS has been fine. Uh, you know, this week two targets, no catches. 
you know, you, you'd like to see some more, um, not even production. You would like to see some more efficiency out of him. But again, you probably got what you paid for and what you expected to get there. See, that's, you know, when you say you got what you paid for, they gave him a three-year deal. Um, and I don't think you give role players, you know, these, these niche guys that, you know, get two targets for no catches, a three-year deal. Um, I just feel like that role can be filled with a, with a, a young player, a, a rookie. Um, you know, I really feel like he has a pretty defined role, which he's been good at this year. But when you see him get expanded out when the receiver, in, when the receiver room was a little banged up, right. And MBS kind of had to step up and play, you know, more of the all around game rather than just his defined role. Didn't look very good. And, and, you know, I, I, I think that's been the case all year. And so I just feel like, you know, I think the, the savings, you know, I can't, I don't know off the top of my head, but I do know you can, they, they save more money than they lose. Obviously they wouldn't cut him if it was, you know, if it was too much dead cap. Um, and yeah, I just feel like his role can be, def- can be filled with a younger player inexperienced play. You have, you know, if you do bring Juju back next year, you have Juju sky and Tony as your kind of your top three guys. And I just feel like the rest of the room should be filled out by guys that aren't making much or, you know, or, or, or inexperienced guys. So that's where I come with, but I do agree with your point. The Juju thing, if, if he's not re-signed, then that's a whole nother ball game and they might have to consider keeping him. Cause again, it's not that it's not a big deal. It's not like they're, they're, you know, it's a huge contract on MBS or anything. It's just, you know, if he's the fourth receiver, I don't, it's not worth paying him what he's getting. Well, it's probably about time to pay some bills, take a little break hear from our sponsors, get to more of your questions after this. Uh, but as we go out, uh, just off the cuff, our uh, Would You Rather of the Week. Ron, I'm assuming you didn't have one prepared, so I'm going to go with uh, a New Year's theme and stick with that idea that we talked about. Uh, Ron, you're still in that stage of your life where this might be more of a question than for others, but when it comes to New Year's Eve, would you rather go out to a big New Year's Eve party uh, or stay at home with friends and you know play board games and have a drink or whatever? So I uh, Stay in or go out for New Year's being your would you rather. Uh, We'll hear Ron's answer to that when we come back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back on the Out of Structure podcast, the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Again, I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr., who I just asked at his stage in life, Ron being a young guy, uh, living it up in Kansas City, recently married, but uh, uh, would you rather go out to a big new year's eve event uh or or stay at home and play some board games uh where are you at at this point ron <laughs> at 24 years old i'm a little ashamed to say maybe that i would way rather just be inside you know taking it low-key taking it chill uh with the wife and, and family and friends uh you know that's just that's just how i am you know i didn't go to university for a reason i didn't go to uh you know a college town for a reason you know i'm a, I'm a pretty low-key guy so uh I, I, I will say that's probably not going to be the case this New Year's Eve. I, I, I do, you know, I, my friends will probably, you know, get me out to do something. But, uh, you know, I, I would prefer to stay inside if you're asking me one or the other. Yeah, I've always had this philosophy about New Year's just being kind of amateur hour out of the bars, right? Like it is, uh, and not referring to the great Chiefs podcast uh, uh, done by <laughs> our friends, but like an actual, you know, yeah. a whole bunch of people 
drinking way more than they normally would or should and and uh things get silly and then of course every restaurant and bar just jacks up their prices to 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 make a profit on on new year's so it's never been i haven't had a ton of days new year's where i've gone out and and been like man this is this is epic this is this is great uh Sometimes when you're traveling, you know, and, and you're out somewhere different, uh, that's pretty fun. I've done that a few right. times, but <clears throat> but yeah, some of the best New Year's I've had uh, is where we just have some people over. Uh, we're oh, gonna yeah. have families come over uh, this year, put out a big cheese plate, do up some drinks, and uh, uh, stay warm, stay out of the fray. And I think uh, I think I'm looking forward to that rather than <laughs> rather than yeah. like uh, you know fighting well. the light district. You know. Oh yeah, no right. That that's yeah. Well, some someone listening is going to that, so you know. Shout out you. Hope you have a good time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, that's the other thing too. The Chiefs play the next day, right? So uh, you know, if you're going to the game, can't can't go too hard. You know, you got to survive until that noon <laughs> kickoff next. Got to pace yourself. Unless you just don't go to sleep, I guess. You know? Well, speaking awesome. of pacing yourself, Andrew's question at my Duke seventy seven on Twitter is basically asking: uh, Are the Chiefs pacing themselves uh, uh, by playing vanilla to not put a lot of things on tape? Uh, or do you think they're actually struggling here and there? Um, what's your thought on, you know, whether it's play calling on offense or, or coverages and blitzes on, on defense? Uh, are they more vanilla uh, than you would expect them to be at this point? Yeah, you know, he says they're, you know, are they struggling? You know, I, I think that's, you know, it's a – I don't know if I'd say struggling is the word. You know, they leave a little to be desired at times, yes. But, you know, especially on offense, you know, they've they've put together – you know, some some performances, you know, Mahomes is, is cemented MVP, in my opinion, these last, you know, these last couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, just in general, I do think Andy does leave something behind a little bit. You know, I don't think he wants to show everything. And I and I do think they're working on some b- basic fundamental stuff, probably trying to perfect it as they get into the postseason. But at, at the same time, you know, they do they are experimenting with some new run looks, you know, pulling Creed into space uh, is, is one of those things. Um, and I'm sure they are trying to get, you know, as, as Tony and Hardman get back in the lineup, I'm sure you will see them kind of get, you know, the, the plays that they are, you know, maximize, you know, these jet sweeps, those other kind of plays, you know, they will get them going on those. And I don't think they're hiding them back. And if we haven't seen them in recent weeks, it's because they haven't had Tony and Hardman. So, you know, I, I think there's always a degree of holding something back is best stuff, but I don't think that's why the team is, you know, not, you know, if, if in your struggles and, and where you, you're talking about the struggles, I don't think that's why. They are struggling, uh, so to say. Yeah, and I, I do. I struggle with the word struggle in this sentence right. as well, because I think there's some, you know, they've been deadly efficient at times. They've been, you know, explosive at times. Uh, this offense is still ranked number one, basically across the board in just about every statistical category. I mean, this has been a very, very good offense this season. So, um, you know, could they be blowing folks out? Yeah, I, I think that would be the the argument for them struggling is mean they've let some teams play them too close. Um, again, for me, it's all about the turnovers. <laughs> when they struggle, it's because they're turning the ball over. If they're not turning the ball over, they're not really struggling uh, as far right. as I'm concerned on offense. On defense, it's still about the penalties to me. The teams are are they're they're having a pretty good success slowing teams down, shutting teams down, getting to, to third down uh, situations. And then they let guys off the hook with, with penalties and drive extenders. You saw a couple more this week, not nearly as bad as previous weeks, but uh, that is one of those things that I think, you know, as long as they're executing, 
um, they're they're going to be in good shape. So, are there some new wrinkles that we've yet to see, uh, both offense and defense? I think so. We talked about uh, Legarius Sneed following the team's best receiver and, and maybe yeah. switching up some other coverages on the back end. Maybe you start confusing or trying to confuse some quarterbacks, putting some things out there that mm-hmm. they haven't necessarily seen on tape. I think you want to save some of that stuff going down the stretch. I think if you play the Bengals for the fourth time in the last 12 months, <laughs> you're probably going to want to show them some stuff that they're not used to seeing because right. otherwise they're, they're going to pick you apart. And, and so I think on defense, there's certainly some, some blitz packages that they could bring in. There's certainly some, some disguised coverages probably that they're not using at this point. Uh, and again, on, on offense, it's all about executing. And if they're executing, they can't really can't be stopped. And it doesn't really matter if their play calling is vanilla uh, or complicated, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. I, I took this question just offensively. So yeah, on defense, I, you know, I do think we talked about that in, in recent shows. I think that, yeah, I, I think Spags could turn the dial a little bit on the chaos. Uh, you know, he, he is blitzing. He's all, he always blitzes, but I do think he isn't doing it maybe as creatively or as uh, sporadically. Um, and that's really where he can be, you know, an advantage where quarterbacks just don't see the blitz coming because it's not a tendency. He doesn't have tendencies in his blitzes. I do think you're kind of seeing him be a little vanilla in that in that way. So, yeah, I, I do think there's something to that and that maybe in the postseason we see that that crazy meter, you know, that kind of chaos meter go up a little bit. You bet. Well, the varmint at T varmint on Twitter. Why isn't Lucas Niang back at right tackle? So uh, this is this is my guy. I really like Lucas Niang. I think there's. Uh, you know, when he was healthy and playing, this offensive line was at its peak. And, and so Andrew Wiley, you know, is is a limited player, but he's he's done a lot for this team and been a valuable contributor. So, you know, I still think it's the right the right tackle is still the weak link. And I think it's something that's going to have to be addressed this offseason uh, unless Niang is back and healthy and the starter and, you know, cements himself in that role, you're probably going to be looking for a new right tackle once again this offseason. So I don't think Andy Reid likes to change horses in the middle of the race. Uh, I think he's going to, as he used to say back home, dance with the girl what brung you. Uh, and, and they're going to stick with their guy going down the stretch. This is what got him there. Uh, but, you know, if there's an opportunity to get Niang back in the lineup, I would sure enjoy it. I'm just not – I'm not anticipating it anytime soon. Yeah, no, this is pretty simple. It's, you know, Wiley is not playing himself out of the position. And honestly, I think it's it's really as simple as, you know, Wiley struggles in pass protection – I don't think Niang is has proven anything any better than what Wiley has shown as a pass protector. I really don't. You know, Niang has had his fair share of struggles, and you know Niang's run blocking has has shown to be very good. Wiley is run blocking very well recently too. He's actually, I mean, that whole line is gelling together in the run game very well. And so, to your point, yeah, Andy's not going to mix that up. They're gelling, even if there's some holes in pass protection. It's it's better than just throwing a whole new guy in there who could have the same exact problems but not be as familiar with with uh, the, the guys around him. Yeah, they, they might need him in case of injury. So it's one of yeah. those things where it's not like he's he's not a valuable piece at this point. But yeah, continuity is everything there, and I think you see it whenever there's an injury and there's a guy out, you, you'll see the guy next to him is struggling, and 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 I think there's a uh, there's some correlation there, and far as far as how these guys work together and and that. That continuity is important. Um, 
Stefan at KC Royalty25 on Twitter. Talking about wide receivers, would you bring in a healthy Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, and cut uh, cut Watson <laughs> with with uh, Hardman back in the, in the lineup? I know there's a right. lot of calls for uh, Justin Watson's uh, at least benching. This is the first time I've seen uh, cut Watson, but uh, Thomas Ramirez also asked, why can't MVS or more get some of Justin Watson's reps? Uh, Justin Watson plays a lot of snaps on offense. He's made a few big plays this year, uh, but when you look at a game like he had this week where he really struggled catching the football, uh, four targets, no receptions, that's not uh, ideal, and that's not really what you want to see out of uh, somebody who gets, at times, 70% of your wide receiver snaps. So uh, I'm not sure that it's Odell Beckham Jr., uh, but – should they mix up the, the wide receiver lineup a little bit? Yeah, I, I do think so. I, I think Watson playing 74% of the snaps in the Seattle game, you know, is, is, is just a really high number for a guy that was supposed to be your sixth receiver all along. And that's the thing since week 10, Justin Watson has played at least 62% of the offensive snaps. So he is, that is wide receiver two or three numbers at some, some games it's a wide receiver two number. And, and that's, that's a little, um, you know, concerning to me. You know, I, I really think he's he's a he's a decent role player, but these big play opportunities we've seen him get these last few weeks that he hasn't converted. I know the Seattle game, that that throw to the end zone was more on Mahomes than it was Watson. I do think Watson, you know, he could have gave a better contest. I, I I would like to see you jump and try to make a play at the ball at some point. But that Houston game, that still drives me crazy. You know, the the you know from the from the end zone, Mahomes gives him a, an air ball. You know, plenty of air under it. You know, he can he can run under it. And he kind of decides to slide and catch it, and, and he drops it. It's just, I'm just, we need to have playmakers in those roles. If you want to take a shot, Andy Reid, why not have your second round pick, Sky Moore, who's a playmaker in space? If he has the ball in his hands, we saw it this week on on a, in a very limited sample size, but he gets the one screen pass, makes a dude fly away from him, you know, just completely shakes him and then makes another guy miss to get about five yards. That's the stuff he can do in the open field. That's why you wanted him at punt returner, right? It's not the punt returner thing didn't work, didn't fail because he's not good at making people miss in the open field. It's because he can't catch the, the punt and, and he can he can catch passes, though. He has no drops this year, Sky Moore. And that's another thing with Justin Watson. I doing some research for my article. Justin Watson is actually has the second highest drop rate in the NFL among NFL receivers with uh, more than 15 targets. So anyone that has any sort of decent sample size this year has a better drop or has a, you know, a cleaner record of drops than, than Justin Watson this year. He's, he's dropped 24% of his, of his targets this year. And, and there's not a lot of targets. So uh, it's like four, four drops, I think total, but three in the last two weeks, Stags, I just, I, this needs to be a tweak. This needs to be an adjustment, especially with Hardman gets back. We need to see Tony Moore and Hardman all playing uh, more snaps than Watson. So is is Watson an elite blocker at the position? Is that is that why he sees so many snaps? I, I would say not an elite. He's probably a pretty good blocker. He's probably you know maybe better than a Hardman or a Tony. I would imagine maybe even a Sky because he's a rookie, right? So yeah, I'd, I'd say it's probably you know one part of it. That's the only justification I can see at this point, really, other than just, you know, that classic he knows all the positions kind of kind of thing that you hear out of this offense. Right. Uh, Zach Eisen also on Twitter puts puts out the pass catchers yards per route run on the Chiefs. League average is one point three. So you've got Kelsey at two point three six, which is you know awesome. Uh, Kadarius Tony one eight six second best on the team. 
Nicole Hardman, 1.49. Sky Moore, 1.39. Uh, Marquez Valdez scanning, 1.28. So basically right at just a hair below league average is MVS. Uh, Noah Gray, for all his uh, uh, you know contributions that he's made lately, still only 1.1 yards uh, per route run. But the worst on the team, the worst on this list, Justin Watson, 0.84 yards per route run. So he's running a lot of yards, a lot of routes without a lot of production. Uh, And and so, yeah, that is something as you go into the playoffs, they're not going to make wholesale changes in in how they do things. But you can make little tweaks in personnel here and there, uh, start featuring Sky more on some intermediary routes, start, you know, if you're throwing the deep ball, Maybe with Hardman back, maybe Hardman gets some more of those deep shots uh, again, like like he did his rookie season. You know, maybe there's some some little things, little wrinkles you can throw out there and mix up that snap count. You'll see them when it comes to skill players. You can see pretty big variances in their snaps played each week, depending on the game plan. So uh, maybe maybe it's not going to be this week or next week, but maybe come playoff time, uh, there's some game planning done around the receiver room and and eventually they got to trust sky more i don't i don't know why he hasn't had a bigger role yet um i do think there was a time earlier in the season when his it seemed like there was a lot of interception thrown his way which tells me that he was probably run running the wrong route or didn't get separation or broke the wrong way at the last minute was you know something to that effect you got to think that he's grown within the offense uh, from a knowledge standpoint, and and is probably should be ready to contribute more at this point than what he has. So, uh, no, I don't think they should bring in Odell Beckham Jr., but uh, I yeah. think <laughs> getting Hardman back, like we talked about, increasing Tony's role and increasing, increasing Sky Moore's role at some point uh, will make a difference. And, yes, at the expense of uh, Watson snaps. I don't know that MVS is the guy that you want to – to take over Watson's role, um, you know, he's probably still going to be pretty high variance on those deep passes. Um, but it, it'd be well, interesting to see what else they can do with those other guys. Well, MVS is the primary deep target. I do think Watson's deep targets are more as that secondary guy that that the defense falls asleep on, doesn't necessarily expect, and that's why he's getting open on these big plays. But I just feel like they could do that with Sky Moore, too. I think Sky Moore could sneak up on defenses, too. And it'd just be nice instead of Watson on the on the back end of that. We'll see if and when we see that this season. Sky Moore again over the last couple of weeks. I've just started to wonder, and in fact, a lot of the season, if if really he's a 2023 uh, prospect, and they're just gonna uh, not feature him even throughout the playoffs. But uh, it'd be nice if if that changes. But if not, I still think he's got a future ahead of him. Uh, but speaking of the future, let's talk New Year's. Yes. Uh, this is the last game. Uh, well, this is our last podcast of the year for 2022. The Chiefs will actually play in 2023 this Sunday uh, on New Year's. So we thought it'd be fun to throw out some New Year's resolutions from all different perspectives. So uh, basically, Ron, I'm going to ask you, we're going to alternate here. You and I are going to throw out a resolution, uh, who it's, Who's making the resolution and and what they're they're promising to do starting on Sunday all the way through the 2023 calendar year? Uh, I'll let you go first. 
All right, Chiefs fans, we're, we're starting with us. We're starting with us as a collective, as, as a group of people. Let's make sure in the new year we do our best to appreciate Steve Spagnolo more than we do. I really think it's easy to blame him for defensive struggles. It's really easy to say, oh, we need new coaching staff. You know, it's, it, we don't have an elite defense. This team is not trying to build an elite defense. You're never going to have that. That's not what this is. They're not trying to do that. They have an offense. They have an elite offense. They have a crazy good offense. And they're going to ride that. They need their defense to be just that we've talked about over and over again. And, and you know what I'm going to say. The playmaking, you know, make a play here and there, get a stop here and there, all that. Steve Spagnuolo can do that. He does that. And if you look at his track record with the Chiefs, he has never been the reason we have lost the Super Bowl. In 2019, they won his first year. In 2020, you look at the Bucks Super Bowl, you can't blame Steve Spagnuolo for ha- not having an offensive line and the Chiefs not scoring a touchdown and having and only scoring nine points for that game. And in that game, actually, the defense gave the offense life. You know, they get that fourth down goal line stop at, at one point. Just, you know, just put that in your mind. And then think about last year in, in the AFC Championship. Was it really Steve Spagnuolo's fault that Chris Jones couldn't finish sacks and that Patrick Mahomes blew it at, in the second half? I just, when you think about it, when you, when you step back, Steve Spagnuolo has never been the reason why this team has lost. And you can't say that in 2018 because Bob Sutton was absolutely the reason the Chiefs lost to an extent, maybe D4 too. All that to say, <laughs> yeah. let's appreciate Steve Spagnuolo a little more. If you have problems with the defense, just remember it's a lot of youth inexperience on this group, and he is doing the best he can with, with what he's got. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think we just talked about things being vanilla. I think he probably has been a little bit more vanilla this season. But, again, out of necessity with the, right. the amount of youth that's starting there. Uh, you put guys in positions to play, and then they got to make plays. Again, the, this defense this year is a lot of times has come down to tackling and the lack of turnovers. Uh, those are pretty hard for a coach to just fix um, in-game. You know, it's, it's really about players executing. So um, that's a good one. I'll, we'll, we'll take that one and, and maybe starting with a little controversy there because he is a pretty – um, popular punching bag for, for Chiefs fans and, and pundits alike. I'm going to stay with this theme of giving, giving folks credit and maybe also controversy for, for a big punching bag. Uh, as Chiefs fans, I think we should resolve to complain less about Odell Beckham. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you got you to gotta edit that out. As Chiefs fans, we got to complain less about Orlando Brown Jr., because the alternative is getting harder and harder to see how there's a better alternative than, than Brown when it comes to the Chiefs' left tackle. You saw some contracts happen this week um, for some tackles uh, really thinning out the free agent market. You're not just going to sign what Orlando Brown has been, which is basically a top 15 NFL left tackle. He's not number one. Um, even if he gets paid as the number one at some point, it's not because he's the best player out there. It's because he's young, he's he's serviceable, good, average or above average tackle uh, that hits free agency at the right time when the market's hot. And there's no good alternatives. So I'm going to keep making this case that uh, would the Chiefs love to get a top five left tackle uh, in place of him? Sure. What are the odds that you're going to do that? Can you trade for a top five left tackle right now? Laramie Tunsil is the only name that's been thrown out there that's even remotely possible And if you if Houston's having a fire sale. But otherwise, 
You're not trading for a top five left tackle. They're just not going to let them go. You're not going to probably draft one unless you get really lucky drafting at the end of the first round uh, this coming season. Are they going to, uh, what are they, what else are they going to do? They're not going to sign one in free agency. So the grass may not be greener on the other side here. So let's give Orlando Brown credit to say he is what he is, which is a average to above average uh, left tackle. And be careful what you wish for as far as getting rid of him. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I'll stick with the off off season kind of talk because I do think, and this and 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 yours was a fan perspective. This is more from the team's perspective as they look at the off season. And I really think they need to be more open with how they they choose their edge rushers or choose their defensive ends. You know, I think they need to be more open minded. You know, and and Nate Christensen, I, I've talked about it before, has done a great job breaking this down for the site. But you know, th- their prototype of defensive end is just not getting it done to an extent anymore. As we talked about this four man rush, you know, really needing to be key. Well, when you don't have guys that can that can win around an edge, you know, bend the corner and really, you know, threaten guys, you know, like we talk about with Orlando Brown, you know, the guys that give him fits. We The Chiefs don't have one of those guys, and uh, it'd be nice to have one. So just be, you know, whether it's free agency, whether it's the draft, I would prefer the draft more. Just be more open-minded with with uh, how you acquire edge rushers. Maybe get a guy with a little more juice than you've, than you've done in the past, Spags. I, I guess Spags maybe is the, the one that needs to be a little more open-minded. Yeah, Spags has always had a type, and I think they're certainly drafting for their coaches' needs. Um, but you know, that was again that was my that was my objection to George Karloftis in the beginning was he's not that bendy edge, speed edge rusher that other teams have. Uh, this team doesn't have any of those guys really, and and I'm not sure that there's one on the horizon uh, unless they get really lucky in the draft. So uh, it would be nice to see them even after the first round. Uh, take a chance on some of these guys. There was a couple players that we identified pre-draft that have turned out to be pretty good uh, that that were bendy-type edge rushers that you could get uh, even after the first round. I'm thinking of a guy that Dallas took, I think, if I remember correctly, and, and maybe a couple others. But Yeah, Sam Williams, the Dallas edge rusher from Ole Miss. And, yeah, you're right, Arnold Debichetti. That was one guy I was a very big fan of. He went before the Chiefs drafted in the second round, but they could have drafted him at the Karloftis spot, but. Yeah, but we'll, we'll he, see. Hasn't we'll been, see. he hasn't been uber productive yet, uh, but he just has those characteristics to threaten in, in ways that this Chiefs defense is, is lacking. So, yeah, some more open-mindedness from the front office down to the defensive uh, uh, coordinator at that position. Yeah, that, that'd be nice. Uh, I'm going to put a resolution out there for Andy Reid, and it's not to eat less cheeseburgers or uh, anything like that. It's, it's really – uh, Coach Reed, um, I want to see Coach Reed promise to to just play to this the strengths of this team. Sometimes you feel like um, they don't run the ball as effectively as they should. Or I'm sorry, they're running the ball effectively, but they're not leaning on it at, in times when they should. Uh, you've got a good running game. You have an elite middle of your offensive line. You could have easily had all three of your interior offensive linemen in the Pro Bowl this year. Uh, Trey Smith was a did not make it, but the other two did. Uh, but Trey Smith is a guy that that is putting up highlight real plays every week. They need to lean into that strength. They need to use the running game to close out games, to uh, to to play with a lead, to do smart situational football with those guys. Uh, but I'm not saying this team needs to be a 30 carry you know, offense, 
because you still have Patrick Mahomes. You still have the best player on the planet. I, I also don't want to see them take the ball out of his hands in situations where, um, like, you know, was it last week when they opted for a long field goal instead of letting him uh, throw a couple passes to get him uh, maybe into better field goal range or mm-hmm. to score a touchdown? You know, play to your team's strength, Andy Reid, especially when it comes to key situations. Lean into the strength of the offensive line lean into the strength of Mahomes uh, and and let them carry you uh, as you go in the postseason this this year. Right. You know, the, the leaning on the, the strength of the unit, you know, you, you say that and you're like, oh, well, the offensive strength is passing. Well, the offensive line strength is running and it's very apparent. They are much better, much more comfortable running than passing. And, you know, it's again, it's not about doing it all the time. It's just about doing it more, keeping the defense more honest, and, and it'll just make everything else – it'll make the pass offense easier, and it'll make my resolution a little easier for Mahomes as well. In Mahomes, From Mahomes' perspective, you know, I think he just – you know, he could use a little more discipline in the quick pass game. You know, hey, in the new year, he's going to be more in rhythm. He's going to stay more in rhythm in the pass game. He's going to go to his check down when, it, when it's – you know, when, when the pass routes are covered and – and there's nothing really downfield. He's going to, you know, scramble forward and, and get the necessary yards when nothing's there and, and not, you know, uh, go back in the pocket or, or dwindle around back there and hope for someone to open up against eight-man coverages. This is specifically a Bengals resolution because it does seem like in the Bengals game specifically, they, they really force him to, to throw underneath, you know, take throws he doesn't want to take. And he just doesn't take them enough, in my opinion. So New Year's resolution, Mahomes, stay in that rhythm. And that'll mean, you know, dump offs to Jerick McKinnon and Pacheco. That'll mean, you know, quick scrambles, even if it doesn't feel like you're getting many yards. You know, it's better than an incompletion or eating a sack. Just stay within the rhythm. You know, don't don't try to go too much out of the offense, especially against the Bengals, because that's what they want you to do. And that's why we've seen some struggles from them in the past. Yeah, that's a tough matchup. And it's an interesting one because. I like it when they leverage the screen game. I like it when they are using the running backs in the pass game. But teams like the Bengals, I think, are looking for that in certain situations. So I think they've got to be smart about when they use those elements. So if you come out and throw deep on first down and it's incomplete, then you've got second and 10. They're going to be keying on the screen on second and 10. I, I think they're that's a that's one of those downs where you just got to be a little less predictable. I think Mahomes has been pretty good this season, frankly, about being efficient and using his check downs. Uh, I think you can say that that's one of those things he's grown into, and he'll tell you that's the first thing uh, that he's better at this year, which is patience and and taking what's there and not trying to push it too much. Um, you'd like to see that continue, but again, some of that I think is situational play calling uh, and, and you hope that uh, that they're dialing up first down plays that don't put them behind the eight ball when you're in a t- situation against a team that uh, you can't get too predictable against teams that are super sound tackling uh, and that are aggressive in the middle of the field uh, teams that have a good four man or three man pass rush like the Bengals somehow do uh, you don't want to put yourself behind the eight ball there you got to get some uh, you got to get some stuff going on first down that keeps you out of those bad situations. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's your last New Year's resolution? My last one's for the league office, and and it's really let these guys play. Um, so there's been entirely too many penalties in the league, uh, 
and especially what I hope that they resolve this year is going into the playoffs. Do not give the Chiefs Carl Cheffers and his crew <laughs> in the playoffs this season. That would be catastrophic. But even if it's not those guys, let's make sure that we're you know, not diluting the game of football with penalty after penalty after penalty in questionable situations. The ref's first inclination should not be to throw the flag and then kind of right. pause and see what happens. Uh, their inclination should be let them play unless there's something egregious and then throw the, the flag. So be a little less flag happy, make this game more fun uh, in 2023, and especially don't give the Chiefs the one crew that you know is going to call them 10 or more penalties and make whatever playoff game they're in just miserable. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, obviously, I don't think anyone would disagree with with, with that New Year's resolution. Um, and, and the annoying part, too, is you do sometimes the, those kind of games where the penalties are just, you know, over and over. You do you do notice those maybe early in the season at times, right, to kind of get players used to, you know, maybe new uh, rules and kind of, you know, get them, you know, kind of overcorrect so they kind of get used to, like, the enforcement of them. Then they relax them as the season goes. Yeah, it was week 15, and we still saw some of that. I just... Not, you know, I, I hope that's not a trend in the playoffs because it has been the entire NFL, not just the Chiefs. And, and it really does just, you know, it really does just make the game, you know, not as enjoyable to watch. Well, those are our New Year's resolutions. Hopefully you all uh, have good ones for yourself and that you stick to them like we all do every single year. Uh, <laughs> as you, I guarantee that all of these New Year's resolutions will come true um, going forward, starting on Sunday. Uh, but let's look ahead to Sunday's game against the Denver Broncos. The Broncos have been in the news this week and, and not in good ways. Uh, so, Ron, what are you thinking about going into this Denver matchup against a team that, you know, frankly feels like it's completely in shambles, uh, which could be a good or a bad thing? What do you think? Yeah, you're right. I mean, usually you see a, a team fire their coach, and it, it's usually kind of a rallying cry. You don't want to maybe play a team fresh off the, the fire in the head coach. And that's what happened, right? Denver fired Nathaniel Hackett, you know, Kansas City native, uh, you know, got got booted before his, at the end of his first year. Um, probably deservedly so. That that team has been an absolute trash fire. You know, actually uh, retweeted today this morning, Andrew Brandt, a, a great NFL follow, you know, former uh, Packers executive. And he kind of, you know, really and he, he would know he would he would be in on this. And he kind of hinted at the fact that it really did feel like Denver only hired him to try to get Rodgers. And when that didn't work, you know. It's not like you can back out of the deal, right? So they kind of just had to keep going through with it, and and you know that's why it maybe was a quick trigger. But Sunday didn't help, man. They, anyone who I, I hope you didn't take any of your time to watch that god awful game <laughs> on Christmas Day, um, but the Rams just blew Denver out, fifty-one fourteen. You know Russell Wilson, you know terrible picks. You know giving the defense, you know balls up for grabs. That's where it's just I don't see this as a typical you know interim coach. You know play for the play for the guy. You know, I, I feel like this is a team that's demoralized. It's been through a lot this season. You know, a lot of players that expected to be playoff contenders are, are sitting here not even close to the playoffs and wondering, you know, why am I, you know, I signed up for this. I feel like it's, it's a team that, you know, could quit. You know, it, it could be kind of a, a hard a hard thing for them to get up for, you know, and, and not just the head coach fired. You know, they fired the special teams quarter. They fired the offensive line coach. Those are pretty two key guys in the game day operation, in my opinion. So, it, it could be a little bit of a, a mess in Denver more than it even was before on, uh, on Sunday. Yeah. 
there's not a lot of good arguments to say that this team is all of a sudden going to be dangerous. I don't know how you prepare for a game midweek after losing your head coach, offensive line coach, and special teams coach. How do you game plan for that? Uh, and how do you overcome a quarterback who struggled all season? They put all their eggs in one basket in, in Russell Wilson. And I sent you a meme earlier that I thought was pretty funny. It was, you know, Nathaniel Hackett was put in a tough situation with, with this team this season. And you're right. Maybe this was plan B and it just didn't work out uh, to get Aaron Rodgers all along. Now, would they have been better off with Aaron Rodgers? He hasn't been elite this year either, but um, certainly would have been better off than, than with Russell Wilson. But you saw this a couple weeks ago, the Chiefs Denver game. Russell Wilson can still show glimpses of his former self. He can still get out and run occasionally. He can still be elusive in the backfield. Uh, he can still throw some YOLO balls down the, down the field uh, to Jerry Judy, who, who can make plays on that. Um, so you can't completely write off this team. There's going to be some pride there. There's going to be some players who are auditioning for jobs uh, going into the next right. season. So you don't want to take them too lightly. But you also don't want to show a lot of mercy here, right? This is a team that uh, you should be able to put away. If the Rams beat them by, you know, was it 51-14 last week? Yeah. Uh, to a bad offensive team with the Rams, I think you've got to look at that game and, and say, hey, I don't expect this to be 51-14, but I'd sure like to see a game where Chad Henney gets some action towards the end uh, of the week. <laughs> And, and this would be something that uh, should be a goal of this team is let's get tuned up for the playoffs. Uh, let's take care of business early, get out to a big lead, run the ball effectively, you know, give some guys some snaps that don't ordinarily get them and play a clean game. If that last Denver game is any evidence of how this one could go, if they play as well as they did, but eliminate the turnovers then they should cruise in this one, maybe even more so than they did against Seattle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would agree. I mean, I you know, there is something to Denver knowing Chiefs, you know, knowing them, like especially on defense, the Denver defense, I think, you know, they had some success. I think they could get up and, hey, hey, you know, we know this offense. It's not like a game plan. We have to, you know, learn kind of new. It's kind of, you know, they're comfortable maybe with the game plan they like to use against the Chiefs. So I could see maybe, you know, at the start of the game, maybe the defense coming out with some fire, but, Man, if the Chiefs do find any sort of way to take a 10, 17, even the 27 nothing leak like, like we saw last time, I have a hard time seeing them having the same fight back that they did that, that first game. I, I really, truly do. So hopefully the Chiefs do kind of get that same sort of lead so, like you said, they can coast. It'd be nice to lead off 2023 with a comfortable Chiefs victory. Yes, uh, it would. Seeing them kind of in playoff mode, getting ready, treating this like a, a couple of mini bye weeks if they can, if, if, if all goes well. Uh, over the next two weeks as they roll towards the playoffs. There's still plenty to play for. Uh, they cannot let out their foot off the gas if they want a shot at the number one seed, which is very important at this time of year. This week will really be the determining week probably for the number one seed because you've mm -hmm. got the Chiefs uh, you know, with a winnable game, but you've got Buffalo and Cincinnati playing each other. And so yeah. that matchup, if you're not watching the uh, – in addition to watching the Chiefs game, you should probably be watching that game as well. And, and let's see how that goes. Well, real quick, yeah, I didn't even realize, but it's on Monday night. So huge, huge standalone game. You'll, you'll already know the Chiefs won and everything. You'll have all, all eyes on that. So 
Chiefs fans, Kansas City will be very interested in that Monday night game. I, I can guarantee that. Because we last week we looked at some of those scenarios, and I think it, it really does. You know, this is the last team probably that's going to have a really good shot at beating Buffalo uh, oh, yeah. realistically. And so if you want the number one seed, you want the Cincinnati Bengals to win. But the Bengals are coming on strong, and this is a team that has been the nemesis of the Chiefs. So it's a really conflicted feeling, right? Like, who do you really want to see win this game? If the Bengals win uh, and they get the Chiefs get the one seed, the Bengals could get the two seed uh, in, in that scenario. Uh, and then, you know, th- that makes their path to that AFC championship game a lot easier uh, in, in a repeat showdown against the Chiefs. So there's going to be a lot of scenarios where it's going to be the Chiefs versus the Bills uh, and the Bengals. That's the, the trio uh, going down the stretch. I think the Miami Dolphins seem like they're sort of falling out of, of contention a little bit uh, yeah. as far as teams you have to really worry about. So you want to see you want to see both of those things happen this week, even if it's hard to root for the Bengals, right? Yeah, no, you definitely want the one seed and, you know, the, the getting the Bengals or the Bills to have the two seed or the three seed, obviously. They play each other in the second round, right? And that, and that's really super important, you know, get one of them to knock each other out and then you're playing the four or five winner um, for the, you know, most likely, unless obviously one of the two, three gets upset. But that that is that is why it's so important because you get them to kind of beat each other up before the AFC Championship. The other way around, if you're the two seed, you got to play one of them in that second round and then play one of the other ones potentially right. on the road. So, yeah, that's the thing. You don't want to play both of those teams this postseason. Right. You can avoid it. I think, as we talked about last week, there is a scenario where uh, Buffalo wins out and the Chiefs have to play the Dolphins, the Bengals, and the Bills to get to the right. Super Bowl. And that is, that's going to be a lot to ask of this young Chiefs team. So, I uh, will hopefully be cruising to a Chiefs victory and sitting back and watching uh, those two teams beat each other up and, and all will be well heading into the new year. I hope all of you have a great New Year's Eve. Uh, celebrate however you're comfortable doing, whether you're out on the town with Ron uh, or, or home entertaining like I will be. Uh, we appreciate all of your questions, all of you guys listening, all your follows and, and reading arrowheadpride.com, listening to the entire podcast network all throughout this year. Uh, it's been a fun year, maybe even a better year than we thought it was going to be in 2022. And and we're looking forward to turning the page on this Chiefs season, heading to the postseason, and heading into 2023 uh, with all of you with us. So thanks again. We will talk to you next week in the new year. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.